What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and host of the What to Know podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Blake McKinney, who is the founder and chief medical officer of CirrusMD and also the president of CirrusMD net, uh, Provider Network. Um, he's got a lot more layers to him than that that you'll find out about this uh, during this episode. So welcome, Blake. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And we're doing this... Um, in a unique place, we're in the Sheridan lobby in Sacramento. This was a good sort of halfway point for the two of us. Uh, beautiful day, so no traffic, which was nice. And uh, one of the things I like to do usually when we're getting started is just jump right in and talk a little bit about your background. You have a unique background in the sense that um, you know you have your uh, MD. Uh, you were in the military, and so we'll sort of unpack some of those if you don't mind. Uh, let's let's start with you're in the Marine Corps. How, what, what made you head down that path? Yeah, so I knew I always wanted to be a physician. But along the way, I thought that I wanted to get out from underneath the fluorescent lights for a bit. And as a young man, I uh, became an officer in the United States Marine Corps and spent four years as a communications intelligence officer, which was my first foray into uh, the electronic communications universe. I had the opportunity to study human behavior uh, via technology and uh, to learn how humans are beginning to communicate in those days via this new communication called SMS texting. Yes, which uh, is still quite an important tool, even though we have all these other fancy ways of communicating. Um, after military, you went to medical school, and uh, now you're an ER doctor in addition to your full-time job. Uh, ER doctor is not the traditional path that I think a lot of people go because it's frenetic, uh, probably a lot of really high stress and a lot of messy situations. What, you know, what made you choose that as your path? By getting out to the end of everything that can possibly happen to the human body, you develop a profound sense of ability to reassure people really wherever they are in the, spect in the spectrum of an illness or injury. Uh, I told myself when I started that what I wanted to know how to do was stop the bleeding. And along the way, I developed an expertise, as all emergency physicians do, in understanding how the body breaks down and when you need to go in and when you don't, which is, uh, you know, I find a particularly stressful point for most people when they're deciding, does this need to get checked out right away or can it wait a little bit? Well, and I'm sure the military training came into play a little bit, right? Because you're having to learn how to keep people alive, right? And how to do things that most normal people don't do. So there's probably a lot more synergy between the military background and being an ER doctor. I think so. And mostly the ability to make a decision without a complete data set is uh, integral to uh, the military officer's uh, workflow um, on the battlefield and uh, to the emergency physician and many physicians when they're making a decision do we give the red pill or the blue pill uh, without 100% perfect information every time? We still have to make a plan. Well, that's an important distinction, and I think a lot of people underestimate how important that is, and I know as a you know, leader uh, in leadership training, that's one of the first things people tell you is that ability to live in uncertainty and to be able to make good decisions based on a lot of times lack of information. 
So fast forward a little bit to your current role. You know, the military piece makes sense, the med school and then ER doctor piece makes sense. Uh, you then all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, I'm sure it was lingering in the background, but you chose to become a founder of a company. And that's not necessarily the path that a lot of people take. Um, what inspired you to do that? Right. I never had it in mind that starting a company would be a part of what I did. I wanted to be an excellent physician and I still enjoy the practice of emergency medicine. And what happened was I became good at what I was doing. Early in my career, my friends and family discovered that they could come to me for advice. And it was one night in the lobby of my big, busy Northern California emergency department that a friend of mine sent me a text with a medical question. And I said, well, shoot me a picture of that and uh, let's talk some more about it. I'm busy at work. I'm continuing to see patients. Um, I'm actually out in the lobby because it's a Monday night and the whole place is log jammed. And as you probably know, the busiest night in uh, the unscheduled care industry is Monday night. Uh, so I'm looking at this crowded lobby of my emergency department after I was able to just shoot a few quick texts to my friend, reassuring him, letting, know, letting him know that I'm here if anything changes, but that I don't think he needs to come in tonight. I said to myself, I wish everybody just had a doctor who they could text. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people that wish that was the case because, you know, especially you and I both have kids. Uh, when kids become involved, because that way you don't know exactly how they're feeling. You don't know exactly how severe it is. That's a, an area where you don't want to make mistakes. And back to your point about the imperfect set of information, right? Um, so that's a good segue to the next question. Uh, question that I want to talk a little bit about, and that is that the telemedicine space is filled with companies that do video conferencing, phone calls, AI. Talk a little bit about what you've built and how CirrusMD is a different flavor than some of the others. Right. So back in 2012, when we got started, after that experience, I looked around the market and I saw that many companies had done the good work of putting a doctor's office visit online. And I thought that's, that's helpful. That's definitely an improvement from the experience that most people have, which is I wait for a doctor's appointment in clinic. I go into an urgent care during open hours or it's the ER. What I wanted to do is take telemedicine to the next level. And that really is a recreation of the experience that my friends and family have, which is ongoing, relational and asynchronous. By asynchronous, I mean we can carry on multiple conversations simultaneously via secure text. Doctors can talk to patients at the speed that's convenient to the patient. Rather than an isolated encounter, whether it's in person or on telemedicine, in which a patient and a doctor have a limited period of time to communicate with each other, and then it's over. And the conversation stops until the next medical encounter. I wanted to break that apart and bring into the mainstream an ongoing relational conversation between patients and a doctor or team of doctors who are always on duty to be available. So it's really, if I'm reading this correctly, it's recreating a virtual version of having your own you know, physician, your own um, primary care physician, I should say, which I think is what you're saying that a lot of these others break down where it's very episodic and I might get you one time and I get, you know, Susan Jones the next time and there's a good chance I'll never get you again as part of the network. And this way, at least, 
with a team of doctors, they have your medical history, uh, they know sort of who you are, maybe how much of a hypochondriac you are, and you know what to do in that situation. Does that sound right? What we've done is, is we've taken a cloud staffing model where uh, a large telemedicine company can have 5,000 doctors, um, any handful of which may be available to sign up for some patient calls uh, at a given time. And we've, we've drastically improved the ratios by creating a center of excellence with a small contiguous group of doctors who practice as a team, who are under common medical direction, under the same medical malpractice policy, uh, and who, that participate in the same 360 peer review process with each other, also sharing duties as any group of physicians would for a service. I didn't prepare you for this in the notes, but hopefully this is an easy question to, to ask. But what does the model look like? Am I paying out of my own pocket to be able to have access on a monthly basis? Does this get covered by my you know, payer provider or what's the model there? Right now, our clients are large health insurance companies and we partner with these companies and uh, white label a service under their branding such that the member reaches into his or her pocket for their insurance card, they go to their insurance company's website or they download the app, and they're met with something new and different. And what it is, is it's an instant access to a physician, never a copay, never a questionnaire to fill out in advance, never a delay, that once they register for the service, within 60 seconds, a live board-certified physician response and uh, it's a benefit of membership. We found that the health insurance companies are interested in people having reliable access to expert advice that um, the downstream result is not only cost savings, but it's venue management. In other words, what's the right venue for this particular problem? We believe in the right venue for the right patient for the right problem at the right time. And when you look at the world that way, beginning with an expert is, gives, gives the member a more informed triage. Maybe in your doctor's office is the right place for this problem. Maybe the emergency room is, is an appropriate choice. Depending on what it is, we get people straight to an expert who can advise them. It helps them avoid the Dr. Google scenario, which I'm sure all MDs are uh, happy to avoid because while there's a lot of good information out there, there's probably a lot of misinformation or even, you know, maybe nefarious information uh, taking people down the wrong path. Well, certainly there are people who aren't ready to communicate with a human. And uh, that's a part of our partnership with Bowie Health is that... Uh, those who are on a journey of self-discovery, looking to understand their symptoms uh, or seek clinical validation, but even through such a, a non-threatening environment such as asynchronous chat, they just may not be ready to talk to a human. And, uh, and so we've actually partnered with Bowie Health uh, to provide the ability for people to, uh, to search their symptoms in a, uh, an extraordinarily uh, non-threatening uh, subhuman way. Well, it's good, and we all discover information differently. And to your point, you know, we are different places in the journey. So um, that sounds like a good uh, spectrum. Uh, one of the things that you and I talked a little bit about before we get started, so I think I know the answer to this, but it would be helpful for people to know. You're headquartered in Denver. 
you live personally here in you know sort of the north north bay area uh sacramento area um you're outside the traditional tech powerhouses of silicon valley or new york although i think you and i talked a little bit about the fact that you still have some access to the money and, and capital if you need it talk a little bit about you know how you and your co-founder landed on denver as the place that you uh, wanted to build your business we really um thought long and hard about that and uh, San Francisco seems to be the obvious place to start any technology company. Uh, however, uh, we chose Denver, ultimately. And although it's been a slower growth, um, my, my co-founder, Andy Altorfer, and I believe in sustainable growth. And we have an incredibly loyal team. Uh, there's a deep talent pool in Denver uh, from a technology, um, healthcare, uh, and business since uh, it's a great city to live in, uh, it's only growing, and uh, we've been uh, very pleased in the partnerships we've been able to make uh, locally that have resulted in uh, in national exposure. Uh, as uh, a lot of eyes are on Denver these days. Yeah, I mean, and certainly it's not unobvious in terms of that's a tech hub. You get a lot of developers there. I think you and I joked about the fact that it's a great place to live. It's a lot of sunshine, great cost of living, skiing or snowboarding galore if you want to do those things. So Great airport, great train, right? booming food scene. Yeah, no, that's... Important to me. Yeah, all good things, and trust me, uh, same with me. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting, and it's not a shocker, but you do continue to practice medicine, and I only bring it up because a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of you know leaders at companies... That's a full-time job, and one would argue that being a ER doctor is also pretty taxing. What keeps you going in terms of uh, practicing and leading a company? I think that the fact that I still lace up and walk through the sliding doors of my emergency department between six and eight times a month, usually on the weekends, is a part of what keeps me in touch uh, with the problems patients face where the system's breaking down in our, in our delivery of healthcare services. And most importantly, I continue to feel the doctor's burden. I'm communing with my colleagues when I'm in the department, when I'm speaking with patients, primary physicians, when I'm talking to specialists, when I'm problem solving for people who are running into barriers in their healthcare experience, my, my continual interface with that problem set is what gave me the qualification to write a problem statement and found a company in the first place. Well, I'm going to guess two other things too. And one is it gives you the ultimate credibility, right? As you're looking for new partners or new investment. And the other is that it is a really fast changing space. I mean, I know this is worlds apart, but I'm the head of marketing at my company, different CMO. And while I like to be able to help with, you know, marketing my company, I also do some client work. And by doing that, it makes me feel connected to the problems we're trying to solve or solutions we're trying to offer. And I'm assuming both of those things come into play in how you're doing your job. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that we also talked about is um, not all is good in this space, right? Uh, in recent weeks, there's been some higher profile new players in, in the digital health space. Uh, that have come under intense scrutiny, both from the government and media. Uh, Ubiome was one, you know, uh, they were rated by the FBI. Uh, NERCS, if I'm saying this correctly, a woman's health startup, was the subject of a scathing New York Times article. Uh, you know, as this space evolves, and I think 
one, you're getting more of that tech mentality coming in, which gets you probably a little further away from the Hippocratic Oath per se. And then we also talked as we were prepping about the consumerization and that there are people that are starting to cross over into the gig economy here. So one, I guess, how do you keep yourself and Cirrus MD out of that fray? And two, let's talk a little bit about the HIMS and some of those other companies we talked about that maybe aren't playing by the rules or maybe are stretching the rules in a bad direction. Of course, of course. Now, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'll be the first one to tell you that not every rule is uh, meant to remain a rule forever. And uh, if you aren't able to accomplish something, it may just be because you're playing by the rules. So that that <laughs> out of the way, um, I will share with you that uh, that not every health tech startup is um, is aiming at the same goal that we are, which is to improve people's access to doctors. And SiriusMD is a company that exists to break down barriers and to build trust. And our space is the doctor-patient relationship. We've primarily been in acute care focused, uh, and that's because of who our clients are and what our model is. Um, we're finding as more and more people, uh, and I'll name the millennials, don't want the traditional primary care relationship. They don't want to drive across town to meet with a doctor. They don't want to wait three to five business days to get answers to their questions that we want to reach deeper into the primary care relationship. We want to talk about mental health. We want to talk about depression. We want to talk about birth control. We want to talk about birth. We want a conversation and a relationship with people. We want to be that trusted advisor that meets you where you are. Um, some of the other companies that we talked about, um, yes, they're in the pharmaceutical delivery business. Uh, consumers who are prepared with uh, a medication in mind can avail themselves of a questionnaire. And if enough information is provided correctly, there's a physician on the other end essentially rubber stamping those orders. And that's big business, uh, particularly for um, medication for male pattern baldness, erectile dysfunction. Uh, there's some truly terrifying examples coming out, uh, dangerous cardioactive medications being prescribed for the treatment of anxiety, very common condition. And uh, it's, it's for those reasons that, that we like to distance ourselves from the online pharmaceutical order companies. Is there a middle ground, though, because I totally get, you know, we don't, I think, want doctors rubber stamping anxiety medicine and things that really get you into this whole other world of medication that can be very dangerous for a variety of reasons. But I totally get, you know, the fact that there are some conversations where you don't necessarily want to have the conversation about, you know, baldness and, you know, hey, I would like to do that or erectile dysfunction. Um, I'm thinking specifically around like Sudafed. Uh, you know, if I get a cold and I need to take Sudafed because of, we were joking about Breaking Bad, right? Uh, they've taken it and put it behind the counter. Not that you need a prescription, but you do have to go an extra step. You know, is there a way that you could safely do this with some of these pharmaceuticals or, or treatments where you're not rubber stamping, but you're also, for the millennials who don't like to talk to anybody, you're creating a safe enough space that, and maybe you're the solution to that, right, um, in terms of that. But if they're, if they're a little concerned about the real-time conversation around these uncomfortable topics, right? what's your take on that? When people come inbound to us seeking a particular medication, 
I always want to understand why. And prescribing medication is about a context. Um, what's what's uh, my assessment of the situation in discussion with the patient? What are we trying to solve for? Many times it is extraordinarily obvious. The urinary tract infection is the use case that the house of telemedicine was built upon. The evidence-based practice of prescribing a short course of an appropriate antibiotic for an otherwise young, healthy woman who presents with symptoms of a urinary tract infection is one of the most obvious and appropriate use cases for antibiotics without the need for a physical exam, without the need for a urinalysis in most simple cases. But not all of life fits into a neat little box with a ribbon tied around it. And many cases fall into the more complex or vague arena. Well, it's interesting to me to know what medicines you're on. I want to ask you what symptoms you're having and I want to give you a, a very thin medium to discuss that in without the need to check a series of boxes that often frustrate patients. If your situation doesn't fit right in to an algorithm, you're likely to get kicked out of the adaptive interview that many softwares are putting out into the market right now for people to interface with chatbots. So I guess I, I wasn't planning to go there, but now that you brought it up, in conversations recently with Dr. Eric Topol and Dr. Rasu Shrestha, uh, and even listening to a podcast with Melinda Richter of JLabs this morning, you know, talking about risk, talking about AI and the ability to use it for certain instances, it sounds like you're still a little skeptical that you could go down that path and, you know, still have the right outcomes. And just to be clear with Dr. Eric Topol, he was saying that, you know, he sees AI solving the problem of 40% of physician, forty percent of physicians' time you know, in the office is spent with their back turned. And it's like if you could use AI to sort of better intake information while the doctor is still sort of, you know, reviewing, that that would be good. But, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? So I actually had a conversation with Dr. Topol uh, this weekend via Twitter. And uh, I admire very much his depth and understanding of doctoring and the human condition. Um, I think that he's a leading-edge pioneer in thinking about which problem sets AI can solve. And, uh, you know, yet in his conversation with me, he was very transparent that he doesn't think that there is a current artificial solution for human empathy and for the nuanced understanding uh, that a doctor and a patient need to have for that human connection to really exist. It's not fully artificialized. Maybe not in our lifetime. Um, but I think that what we're on to with our fully human approach is an instant connection and a response from a doctor within seconds. And that initial response is very clearly human and very clearly empathetic. And that experience is what uh, we think of when we look up on the wall of our office and it says, break barriers, build trust. And that's our mission statement as a company. And by setting that table, we've overcome a lot of um, uh, the existing paradigm that many doctors have of don't let the patient straight at me. <clears throat> I need information first. Well, <clears throat> our approach in the emergency department is that 
we take what we get straight through the sliding doors and a patient comes in with a great explanation of what's going on or they come in um, on an ambulance gurney with their eyes closed and our job every single time is to understand the patient's problem and work to try to improve their situation. Well, it makes sense. And empathy, I think, it keeps coming up in these dialogues, I think, for anyone that is worth their salt. And so that is a tricky one, right? And I don't know as though in our lifetime we will serve or, or solve the empathy element of AI because it is probably one of the more nuanced aspects of us as humans, right? I mean, you can fake it or manufacture it, but to have true empathy requires deep understanding and deep caring that, I don't know, can a machine ever get there? Um, this is the part where I do like to shift gears a little bit and find out a little more about you personally. And this is the one where I do like to ask, you know, tell us something about yourself that people don't know. Some people love this question. Some people hate this question. I feel like you'll be fine with it, given who you are. Something about me uh, that you don't know. Um, wow, great question. Um, didn't see this one go coming. With the, the family situation, um, you know, that there's a TV show that mirrors some of your uh, family life. Uh, this last August, I uh, married my dearest love, and uh, the, the two of us uh, each brought three children uh, into the relationship. Uh, we each have... Uh, so combined, our, 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 our family of eight, uh, there are three boys, three girls, between the ages of six and 14, um, we are uh, an American Brady Bunch. So for any of you millennials who don't know what that is, you probably have heard references, go ahead and Google it. But uh, it was a show that I think inspired all of us. I, you might be a little younger than me, but I grew up with the Brady Bunch. And uh, funny, by the way, a little side to find out about all the characters, you know, after the fact, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> I like to also ask smart people like yourself, and I know you've got a lot in your hands, so you may or may not have time to do any of these things, but any books or podcasts that you've read uh, or listened to that really inspired you? Yeah, currently in the middle of Shoe Dog, um, enjoying that very much. I think as an entrepreneur, you, you, you can really um, commune with another entrepreneur's journey, especially when everything wasn't easy. You know, there's so many books out there that I could drone on about, but... Um, that's what I'm currently enjoying. Well, it's a good one. And I will say, you know, as someone that's grown up through the world of digital, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and just how easy it is today. Never easy to be an entrepreneur, but not having to worry about how do I have a website, like the plug-in tech and, you know, all these things, like how do I turn on a marketing campaign for myself if I want to? And how do I reach an audience? Like social media didn't exist back in the day. Search didn't exist back in the day. Display. And so there are a lot of things that are easier, although one could argue now that it's harder to break through because once you do sort of do that, then there's so many other people that could do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And you, you know what, Aaron, I'd actually like to update my, my response when, when you were talking. I remembered um, there was a Sentinel podcast that turned me on uh, to the idea of solving problems in our industry. And it was, it's, a, it's now a 10-year-old podcast from WBEZ in Chicago on This American Life. And... It was their first time doing two parts on the same topic, and uh, the two episodes were called Less is More and Other People's Money, and this was right around the time of Obamacare and um, was, to this day, in my opinion, the most prolific um, discovery and explanation shining a big bright light on how we got here 
as a health system. And 10 years on, uh, I think it's still maybe the most applicable um, couple of hours anyone could spend getting up to date with where we are as a nation in healthcare. Well, that's great. And I, you know, I'm always a fan of things that stand the test of time. I do remember other people's money back in the day. And it's interesting because some people listening to this may not realize that podcasts have been around for 10 years. I know I started doing podcasting back in 2007 uh, and then kind of got away from it a little bit, but I've done four different series. And now with the likes of Serial and Crime Town and How Stuff Works, they've all kind of risen it back to this grand medium that I think a lot of people participate in. But, you know, I think going back 10 years and thinking how that was impactful then, you know, what a breakthrough that was to be able to have that power when not a lot of other people were doing podcasting then. So last one, which um, most people struggle with, you and I joked about the fact that this is the hardest question, which cracks me up for someone that's solving, you know, one of the biggest problems in society, health. Uh, but I like to ask people, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you can take one album with you. Which album would that be and why? <laughs> Great question. Tough one for me. I mean, hard, hard, hard to pick one album I'm going to be stuck with for the rest of my life. Um, you know, the knee jerk uh, goes to Folsom Prison Blues, uh, Johnny Cash, just because it's good, clean fun. Um, but uh, really, when I land on it, the answer is going to be um, Les Miserables, a very old story that... Uh, um, that I take joy out of set to music and, um, and performed, um, you know, in my opinion, uh, the, the Hugh Jackman version really hit the ball uh, out of the park. And so that's, that's my final well, answer. I love it. And I love the thinking and, and both are great albums. I've not seen the Hugh Jackman version of Les Mis, so I will have to check that out upon your recommendation. Um, this has been fun. So this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2, host of the What's to Know podcast show. Uh, I've spent the last 30 minutes with Dr. Blake McKinney, who is the founder and chief medical officer of CirrusMD and then president of CirrusMD Provider Network. Blake, thanks so much for meeting me and doing this. Thanks for driving out of the city to meet me out here in the country. Of course. Well worth it. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at whogroup.com slash what to know.